Welcome to the studio with Christoph Malachuk. I took last Monday and Tuesday off to go skiing in the Colorado Rockies. It was wonderful. And you're probably thinking, ah, okay, that explains why there was no episode last Monday. Because I was skiing. Wrong. There was no episode last Monday because I am a vigilante. I was standing up to the rich. I was fighting for the poor. I was involved in class warfare. Put simply, I was buying and holding shares of GME, of GameStop Corporation. I was part of a social movement whose aim was to bankrupt hedge funds. GME, one of the most shorted stocks on the market, there was a rally cry around it where individual retail investors were buying the stock, forcing the price up with the hope of making the predatory hedge funds on Wall Street cover their shorts and lose billions of dollars in the process. And what a movement this was. In early January, the stock, $20 a share. This movement catches on. It's a snowball effect. It rises above 100, above 200. I buy in at 260. I wasn't even early to the party. I came in a bit late. It goes as high as $483. But then it starts to fall. And fall it did. And now one share of GME is worth $66.46. And I have lost hundreds of dollars. But that's fine. That's fine. Because I showed the hedge funds what's up. I really showed them. My efforts had an effect. Just kidding. Unfortunately, this is the issue with collective action problems. This ploy was super effective for one week. Because there was momentum and there was excitement. But then people saw, hmm, I've actually made tens of thousands of dollars off of this meme, off of this game to bankrupt the hedge funds. If I sell, well, I can actually do life-changing things. I can pay for my mother's cancer treatments. I can help out my sister with Lyme disease. I can get surgery for my pet. These tremendous actions that were only previously prohibited by money, there's no longer a barrier. So then these people sold their shares. And the only way for the people to win, for the proletariat to rise up, for the hedge funds to sink, was if people held. But it's tough. Because now you can save your mother's life. Because in the U.S. not everyone has health insurance. And healthcare isn't free. So if investing in GME had an unbelievable impact on your life, that's amazing. But the hedge funds won because the people didn't hold. This is a prisoner's dilemma. You need everyone to buy and hold for this to work. Because all of big money is against us. There was a Reddit page against 
well-organized hedge fund billionaires. And the hedge fund billionaires won. Surprise! This tends to happen during social movements. Do you remember Occupy Wall Street? That movement that occurred after the 2008 financial crash where a bunch of young people camped out on Wall Street for three weeks? Wow, what a powerful movement. And do you remember what happened as a result of that? Nothing. I was a bit young when that was happening. This is probably the closest thing to Occupy Wall Street for my generation. This is actually the first social movement that I was excited about. Because I thought it was a worthy thing to fight for. I'm no fan of hedge funds. I'm no fan of a lot of the finance industry. I don't have issues with accountants. My parents have an accountant. He's a really nice guy, a good Christian man. Always been very kind to me. Whenever I see him, I bring him a bottle of chocolate milk. Good man. If you're a financial advisor helping out middle-class families have enough money for retirement so that they can retire in comfort without fear of poverty, that's also great. Maybe even noble. That's great. But a lot of Wall Street I have no sympathy for. Because a lot of those jobs do nothing to make the world a better place. See, a lot of jobs are fulfilling. Even jobs that are very menial are fulfilling. Being a grocery store cashier, you're involved in the transfer of food from a farmer's field, a hardworking farmer's field, into the mouths of families, of children, of people. You are playing some role in helping people eat. If you're a construction worker, very clear what the impact of your job is. You're making roads smoother to drive on. You're building houses in which people can live. Fantastic. If you are an entrepreneur, if you're in tech, maybe you're working on a product. There might be some controversy around whether a product is making the world better or worse. For example, Facebook. Hey, but at least you're creating a product. There's something of value that you're creating. But if you look at investment bankers, they're not really creating value. They're toying around with numbers to make their own numbers go higher. The sense of fulfillment they derive is from being high-status individuals. It's an overwhelmingly male industry. I think it's quite a toxic industry from what I've heard. People working 60, 70, 80-hour weeks morals out the window, everything's about money, and then every few weekends you can fly down to Florida and play golf with your other rich buddies. People don't even like those jobs. No one loves being on Wall Street. What they do love is the money, is the cash, is the dough that they're bringing in. Their fulfillment comes not from the value they're providing or from making the world a better place, no. Their fulfillment comes from being high-status males. And I'm saying males because it's an industry that's overwhelmingly dominated by men. There are women in it too, and guess what? 
I don't like them either. But I'm going to address the men. The type of woman that these men attract are not the type of women that are going to make these men long-term happy. They're going to attract women who are attracted primarily to status. Is status attractive? Yes. But you know what's more attractive? Status plus morality. And morality here is out the window. Consider the following thought experiment. There is an out-of-control train that's hurtling down the tracks. Strapped to the tracks are five people. And you have a button that can stop the train's progress. However, if you allow the train to continue going and kill these five people, you're going to get a bonus 5% annual return on your portfolio. If you give this thought experiment to anyone sane, they're going to choose to stop the train. They're going to press the button that stops the train. Their portfolio stays the same as it was, but the people are saved. Five people saved but you don't get a 5% bonus. You give this thought experiment to Wall Street bankers, they're going to ask if they can put 15 people in the track so they can get 15% bonus returns. Greedy scum. So I was quite happy to be part of this GameStop movement to try to put a little dent in the predatory finance industry, which is primarily self-sustaining, provides little value to society, other than to preserve the status of the aristocratic elite. And I, who could loosely, possibly inaccurately, but not outlandishly, be lumped into the category of the technocratic elite, I was on the side of the little guy. I was on the side of the poor. I was part of the proletariat fighting against the bourgeoisie. And it was fun while it lasted, but guess what? We lost. And I've lost hundreds of dollars. But that's okay, because I tried. I tried to make a difference, and I'm still holding because I have diamond hands. And if you sold your shares to change your life and save your family and get surgery for your dog, that's beautiful. Congratulations. But remember who you are and what you've done, you paper-handed delicate flower. You sided with the hedge funds to save your family's life. Now, I don't blame you, but don't forget who you are, you coward. Throughout history, most social movements have failed, even those that appear to be extremely promising. If you can find someone who was at the 1989 Tiananmen Square protest in China, ask them how that went. Odds are you can't find any, and if you can, the answer is it didn't go so well. Because they still live in a communist state. For a bit over a year now, I've been investing somewhat seriously into the market. And I've done well. It's great. The pandemic was great for people who could work at home and who had money in the stock market. The pandemic might have been the best thing to happen to those people's bank accounts. A recent perk provided by my credit card, American Express Gold, was that I could get a year-long membership to a stock advisory service called The Motley Fool. Now, seeing as I've been investing for a bit over a year now and I've been doing research online about stocks, very often The Motley Fool's website comes up. I think it's fairly legitimate. 
and it costs $100 to get their information and newsletters, etc., for a one-year period. So I thought, great, it's a $100 value, but for me it's free, I'll sign up. I did sign up, but what I didn't expect that I signed up for was to receive 50 emails a day. The Motley Fool, what I expected from them, tell me once a month five stocks which you think are good long-term buys. Instead, I'm getting 20 emails a day with clickbait titles. I am so disappointed. I paid $100 to get junk email. Now, look, there has been some gold in with the coal. I did find out about the Amazon of South America, Mercado Libre, which I'm going to invest into because I think there's a lot of growth potential in South America. But overall, this is an undesirable hassle. Why are you sending me so many emails when I've already paid for your service? Look, I got four emails yesterday, and I woke up this morning to another four emails. I have eight emails in the last 48 hours. The titles are like this. Five stocks for a down economy. The biggest 10x sweet spot since 2009. Historically, you'd be 95% likely to turn a profit by doing this. What are these garbage titles? Just tell me what the next Netflix is and I'll invest. I don't need to be inundated with 30 junk emails every day. But thanks for the Mercado Libre tip, Motley Fool. Speaking of money... Last weekend, I was skiing with my dear friend and colleague, Jenny Dong. She's one of my closest friends. She flew from California to Colorado to go skiing with me in the Colorado Rockies. Now that is an expensive endeavor. Now I have a season's pass this year, so I already paid for my cost of skiing at the beginning of the season. But for Jenny Dong, it cost her $500 to ski for three days. Not to mention other costs associated with skiing. To buy skis, multiple hundred dollars. To buy boots, multiple hundred dollars. To buy a winter coat, a couple hundred dollars. To buy snow pants, maybe a hundred or two hundred dollars. Now, I personally believe that the prohibitive cost of skiing, as well as many, many other winter sports, is the primary reason that we don't see black domination at the Winter Olympics. Actually, I think that's what should be the gauge for racial wealth equality. Sure, you have economists who are crunching numbers and looking at household family incomes and who holds which high-status jobs, but in reality, that's a lot of noise. We'll know that we have wealth equality, or at least approaching it, when we start to see black people have all the gold medals at the Winter Olympics. As soon as the average Kenyan has the money to be able to fly to a ski hill and to drop money on top-notch equipment, goodbye, Norway you are no longer going to be 
a nation of athletic prowess. Because the only reason you are right now is because you excel at cross-country skiing, at biathlon. As soon as people from Sierra Leone get the wealth to be able to rip sick tricks on a half pipe all day, goodbye, Sweden. Goodbye, Canada. Your days at the top are numbered. Now, I personally hope that we get there soon because I want to see the best athletes dominating. We don't need government economists who are spending public funds looking at wealth disparity. No, we already know when there's going to be wealth equality. Only when Somalia sweeps gold, silver, and bronze at luge will we know that we live in an equal society. And I hope we get there soon. Now, despite the astronomical costs associated with skiing, I came to the realization a couple nights ago that skiing is a cheap thrill. Isn't that a nice play on words? It's a bit ironic. Skiing is so expensive, but at the same time, it's just a cheap thrill. I was thinking about why skiing is appealing. I enjoy skiing, but I don't love skiing. If I never skied again in my life, I'd be totally fine with that. I was thinking about why skiing is so appealing. Because I have friends for whom skiing is one of their favorite activities. They just want to be in the hill all the time. And look, I like it. It's a great sport. It's fun. But I was thinking about what is the appeal? So sure, you're getting some exercise, but you don't like skiing because it's exercise. And it's outdoors, and you're in the mountains, and it's beautiful, and snow is beautiful. Those are reasons, but that's not why there's all this hype around skiing. I think the reason that people like downhill skiing and snowboarding is because of the thrill. Even if you're not skiing ridiculous things, you're not going on glade runs, you're not going off jumps, it's likely far more dangerous than any other activity you participate in on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, what's appealing about the thrill of skiing is that the thrill forces you to live in the present moment. You're not able to have your mind wander. No, you have to be focused on what you're doing. There's the requirement to be fully tuned to all incoming stimuli. You are observing the decisions that are being made. You are a witness to the decisions more than you are even making the decisions that you're making. And I think this is true the more dangerous of a run that you're doing. So skiing forces you to be in the present. The, the risk associated with skiing is thrilling, but really the appeal of something thrilling is that you are in the present. When you are thrilled you're forced to be in the present. And when you're in the present, you have the highest quality of experience. 
And that's why people like skiing so much because they're forced to be in the present. And even if people don't consciously acknowledge that they are so present when they're skiing, which I think most people don't, that is for many people one of the few times that they are actually present, that they're not thinking about the past or the future, that they're living in the moment or to even put it better, that they're actually living is when they're skiing because not a lot of other activities that people engage in on a regular or semi-regular basis involve the risk that forces presence. But everyone finds it meaningful to be present because presence provides meaning to experience. And really, one of the highest pursuits is to derive meaning from all experience, which requires one to be present. I think one of the reasons that I enjoy skiing, but that for me, it's not something that I have to do or need to do, is because over the last year, I've put in a lot of time and energy towards rigorously investigating the nature of the mind, primarily through meditation practice. And meditation, mindfulness, enables one to live in the present. So I see that skiing is opening the door, giving you a glimpse of what presence is. But you can achieve presence sitting on the floor in your bedroom. You don't need to go skiing to achieve that. So I enjoy the exercise and I enjoy the intense stimulation. But in reality, I know it's possible to achieve the same state of mindful awareness without being on a ski hill or doing anything exciting or doing anything, period. I don't need to be put into the situation to be subjected to these environmental stresses to obtain a state of presence. So whereas it's a fun way to achieve a state of presence, it's not necessary. I could be sitting at home and be extremely present and be deriving a lot of meaning and fulfillment from experience. I've been speaking in the first person, but I really shouldn't be. This state of presence is something that you can absolutely tap into as well. And I'm not some guru at all. I'm not living in a state of perpetual presence, but I'm far more present than I used to be before I started meditating, before I became aware of the nature of the mind and experience to the degree that I currently am. I still have so much more to learn. Skiing is great to realize what is possible with the mind. But you can go beyond skiing and realize that you can get into that state without the need for an extreme environment. You don't need to be performing some exhilarating activity to be so wholly fulfilled. That's why I think that skiing is a cheap thrill. You're inducing a state of presence through external stimuli. That's why it's cheap, it's external, it's not from within. You can learn what is possible for your mind, but you're not learning how to enter into that state. I think 
there are other ways you can enter into that state without the external. And that's where it's beautiful because if you can enter into that state relying only upon what's internal, it's freeing. You, you could, in theory, live in that state perpetually because it doesn't matter what the environment is. That feeling is coming from within. So sure, you could have a meditation practice, a mindfulness practice, which is just so popular in the West nowadays. Everyone and their sister has a mindfulness practice. I think that a nice antithesis to the cheap thrill of skiing, which induces the same state of presence, is self-expression. When you're expressing yourself truly, whether it be through dance, through poetry, through a drawing, a painting, through song, through music, you are fully turned inwards towards the thoughts, feelings, and sensations that are arising. You're in a state of absolute presence. And if you pay close enough attention, you could even realize that the self doesn't exist. Because the thoughts and ideas and feelings that are arising, they're just arising in consciousness. You're not causing them to arise. You're just observing them. And when you're in a pure state of self-expression, you're observing all of these sensations, these inputs that are arising in consciousness, and then you're exhibiting them, you're translating them, you are living them. But you're not you, you're just being. A lot of people also find contentment, therapy, relaxation, in self-expression. A lot of people like to draw, to paint, to play music. And I think it's for the same reason. It can get you into a state of presence. Dancing is one of my favorite forms of self-expression. I actually threw a dance party a few weekends ago. Three weekends ago, I was skiing in the Colorado Rockies. And I have a group of colleagues, not friends, of colleagues. One of these people is my friend. The rest are just my colleagues. Not that they couldn't become my friends, but they're not. People toss around the word friend really loosely. These people aren't my friends. They're people I know. And they're people that I, for the most part, like. There's a group of eight of them, former residents of California, who are all in tech and all have the opportunity to work from home during these times. And they decided, all eight of these people, to rent a ski cabin in Colorado for just over a month. This is fun. This is fun, but also not something that I want to do because I don't want to live with seven other people. In fact, I don't even really want to live with one other person. I like living by myself because I'm an adult. But these people wanted to have this fun group experience of renting a ski-in, ski-out cabin by the Breckenridge Ski Resort in the Colorado Rockies. And I'm not mad at it because I'm a two-hour drive away and I can go and stop in when I want, observe the drama, ski have a good time, and then drive back to my 
peaceful duplex in Colorado where I have a lawn and I have the unit to myself. Now what could go wrong having eight people who don't really know each other too well, not all of them, living together? So initially there were going to be two couples and four single people. Well, they moved in in early January and one of the couples broke up over the Christmas holidays. What could go wrong? They both decided to go on the ski trip, but actually I'm making a bit of a, a deal over nothing. I think they're both mature, they handled it well, but I do find it hilarious that they had planned the ski trip when they were seeing each other and then they stopped seeing each other a couple weeks before the ski trip and are now confined to a house together for a month. Truly, I think it's working out great. When I went skiing three weekends ago, I was their first overnight guest. And it was fun for me to go see these eight people because I'm a really social guy. Now, do I do great in isolation? Yes, but I love being around people. I get energy from that. So when I went for the first time to their ski cabin, I was performing for them. Now I was being my authentic self, but part of my authentic self is to also be a bit of a performer sometimes. So to show my appreciation for them letting me stay overnight for two nights and go skiing and eat their food, etc., to show my appreciation, I brought them drugs. When I say drugs, I mean alcohol. When I say alcohol, I mean beer and wine. But not just any wine. I handpicked two very nice South American bottles. I had a Chilean wine, an Argentinian wine. One of them was a Malbec. The other was a Cabernet Sauvignon. I hadn't had them before, but I picked them out from my local wine shop and I thought they would be good. And I was right. Everyone loved the wine. And this was great for me because it allowed me to perform. It allowed me to be a wine expert. Now, everyone loved the wine, but everyone hated how much I knew that the wine was amazing. And that was part of the performance. To play this simultaneously detestable but lovable character. My second evening there, I threw a dance party. We had just finished dinner, and at some point over dinner, or just prior to it, I had mentioned how the song Hotline Bling from Drake is actually a great song but was undervalued due to its meme status when it came out. So I got the woman who was in charge of the ox who was playing the music to put on Hotline Bling. Then I went down to the living room. It's blasting on the speakers. I rearranged the furniture and I threw a dance party. But how does this start off? The dance party starts off with me dancing by myself for multiple minutes, probably dancing by myself 
for eight minutes. But that's all right. I, I don't need other people to be around. This is how movements start with one person. I was the deep fucking value of the dance party. That's a Wall Street Bets reference. I started it before anyone else showed up, but I kept going until it gained traction and I held diamond hands, diamond hands and twinkle toes because I can tear up a rug. And it was fantastic. People joined. At the end of the day, we had six of us engaged in this dance party. It was awesome. Now, two of the people who weren't involved were one of the couples. I think they went to bed early. I excuse them. So there were six of us dancing. There was the couple downstairs who were just going to bed early. But what was unfortunate was the final person who didn't partake. Because he was with us, but there was something in him that wouldn't allow him to dance. And I found this sad because this was a wonderful zone of no judgment, of movement, of expression. Now, sure, you might say, well, Christoph, maybe not everyone finds dancing fun. Well, this transcends beyond fun. This was truly a place of expression and connection and love. And there was something shielding this person, this defense mechanism that I'm sure is based on something deep inside of him resulting from his upbringing, his childhood, that wouldn't allow him to be. He couldn't take off his inhibitions. Now, I would have loved to put on my Sigmund Freud hat, my Carl Jung hat, my Carl Rogers hat, sat down with him for three hours and got into the bottom of his problems so that he could express himself and that his life could be positively changed for the better because he could engage in activities that would make him vulnerable but that would also make him free. Like dancing. Dancing makes you vulnerable but it also makes you free. And that's why a lot of people don't like dancing when they're sober. When I went to the University of Waterloo, my favorite club to frequent was called Phil's. And a few times a semester, I would go there with my friends. And some of my friends needed to get drunk before dancing. Now, why is that? That's because dancing makes you vulnerable and free. But a lot of people can't handle that vulnerability without dousing themselves in a substance. Now, it's totally fine to drink and dance, but you want to make sure that you can dance in the absence of drugs. Because otherwise, you're hiding your vulnerability from yourself rather than embracing the feeling. Because you're... You're not hiding your vulnerability from others if you drink and then dance because you're still going to be dancing. You're hiding the vulnerability from yourself and that's the issue. You're not able to confront something internal, something that lives within. 
I think one of the worst parts about not dancing, about not expressing oneself, about not engaging in an activity like that, is that you're not allowing yourself to be free. Because there is freedom in being. And an act like dancing, or really any act of self-expression, is an act of being. Yes, 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 yes. An act of being, an act of extreme presence. But without the external stimulus, without the environmental pressure that's forcing you to be that way, it's something that's found within. And that's so powerful. Because that's something that if you can bring about that state of presence, of being of freedom yourself, then you can bring that into your moment-to-moment -moment experience. You can make that a part of your life. Skiing is a cheap thrill, but self-expression is freedom. I was in the sauna the other day. Again, I went back, the infrared sauna. And when I was there, I was thinking. And I had this amazing thought about dancing. This happened after my dance party. Dancing is a form of exercise where you move your body in ways that you think others will find cool. If you go up a level of purity, dancing is a form of exercise in which you move your body in ways that you enjoy or that you find cool. But at its highest level, dancing is a form of self-expression in which you are. Now I got out of the sauna and I went to the receptionist to pay. And the woman working there was about my age. She probably goes to CU Boulder, the local university. And I needed to tell someone about what I had just thought about. So I decided to tell her. I don't think she found it as profound as I did. That's all right. So the difference between the top level of the pyramid, form of self-expression, and the second level where you're moving your body in ways that you enjoy or that you like or that you think are cool, is that at the highest level, you aren't moving your body you're allowing your body to move. When dancing is a form of self-expression, you aren't moving your body, you're allowing your body to move. And then you can observe, maybe briefly if you pay attention, that the self doesn't exist. But we live under the constant illusion of self. And there are activities like skiing and skydiving that put you into that state of presence through thrill, but you can achieve that state of presence yourself. No environmental force is needed. I encourage you to throw a dance party, even if it's just yourself, almost especially if it's just yourself. Dance, be aware, be free, 
B. So if you're a fan of dance parties, the studio is the place for you. This podcast keeps growing, and that's thanks to you. So thank you so much for listening. And I want to continue growing this podcast. And that's only possible because of you. And I would really appreciate if you could tell your friends who ski and your friends who don't dance about this episode. Maybe send it to them. Because I think those are the people who might be able to benefit the most. So once again, thank you for listening. You can find me on Instagram at Molechuk. That's my last name. At M-A-L-E-J-C-Z-U-K. This is The Studio with Christoph Malachuk.